0: Imagine how boring it would be if it was two people meet, then they get married. And and that's what most business communications is. It's boring. Hello
1: and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP software business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe, and this month I'm joined by a hero of mine. He's someone I've followed since I made the transition from journalist to marketer, and his book, The New Rules of Marketing and PR, became my Bible. Since then, his name has cropped up over and over again. He's been quoted on panels I've been on. He's shown up most recently as the backer of some brilliant marketing software that I use. He's the author of 12 books and is the very definition of an influencer. Welcome to David Merman Scott. It's so great to have you. Welcome.
0: Wow, what an, what an introduction. Every <laughs> word you, of it is true. Thank you, Lucy. It's very, very good to be here, but um, uh, you flatter me and um, hopefully we'll have a great conversation as well, which I'm sure we will.
1: I'm looking forward to it. I, I, what I'd really like to know is a bit more about your own personal journey. You've written so many books on marketing, but that wasn't where you started out, was it?
0: I started out actually on a bond trading desk after I got out of university. Um, I did an economics degree and thought I wanted to be in the financial world. So I got a job on a bond trading desk on Wall Street in New York City. And I found very quickly that I hated it. Being inside a closed room with no windows, screaming into telephones was not my idea. Idea of a fun way to earn a living. But what I did find that I enjoyed was the um, The data and the news services that the bond traders were using um, from companies like Reuters and Dow Jones and so on, and so I drifted into um, the financial and news and information business, which I really enjoyed and was in that world uh, for about fifteen years and and that was journalism just like you, but it was real time electronic journalism that I was doing. And um, and I really enjoyed that, learned a ton. But what was great about it was that I was doing essentially all the things that we do today in an online world for marketing. I was doing before the web, so following the news and then building stories around it, which I eventually named newsjacking and talked about. Um, so that I essentially got an unfair head start advantage to what became marketing on the web. And I started my own business in 2002. um, Geez, 20 years ago. And uh, since then, as you said, in the kind introduction, I've done um, 12 books, um, and uh, four of them have become international bestsellers. But really, it's all about how you can use content and information um, to build business, grow fans. And um, that's a much better way to grow a business than what most people do, which is spend a lot of money on advertising or spend a lot of money on interruption techniques like cold calling people at work.
1: So content marketing, really, it's almost like you were there from the beginning. It's, you have been involved in shaping the conversation for, it's been quite a long time now. I mean, do you feel that things have significantly moved on at all?
0: Um, Yeah, no doubt that I was the very first person in the world to write a book about content marketing Um, and uh, first person. I didn't call it content marketing per se, but um, but yeah, I've been in I've been doing this since the very, very beginning. And I think that what's changed in my mind in the last several years, which has been concerning to me, is the power of the social media algorithms. And when I first started talking about content, um, that was pre-social media. Um, You know, I first started talking about these ideas back in 2002, and that was um, Mark Zuckerberg, I think, was probably in high school at that point. You know, social media didn't exist yet. And then when social media did start um, around 2007 or so, Um, the algorithms hadn't really kicked in. And basically, and you you probably remember this, Lucy, and others listening in may remember that in the beginning, you just saw a straight feed of your friends, um, the people you were subscribed to. And it was generally done in a reverse chronological order. In other words, the most recent post was at the top of your feed. And that if you had a lot of people that you followed, you had a lot of things in your feed and uh, they weren't yet kicking that algorithm in, they weren't yet showing you all kinds of advertising. And I think that the algorithm, the algorithms, especially the Facebook algorithm, have become destructive, because what they've done with the algorithm, especially Facebook, is they've tuned it, not to providing the best information to the users, however, they've turned it instead to um, how they can make the most money. And what Facebook has learned is that the way they can make the most money is to get people to be to spend more and more and more time on the platform. And the way that they get people to spend more and more time on the platform is by, um, by showing content that makes them angry, or showing content to them in their feeds that's polarizing, showing content in the feeds, that drive people into groups where there's somebody else that they're against. And I think that the Facebook algorithm is one of the major reasons for Brexit. It's one of the major reasons for, um, uh, in my country, the, the events of January 6th, when there was an attempted coup on the U.S. government And the Facebook algorithm is the primary reason for vaccine skepticism um, during the pandemic. And Mark Zuckerberg and people at Facebook know that, but they continue um, to breed this kind of algorithm-driven hate. Um, to tens of millions of people around the world who go into a a quicksand of lies and conspiracy theories. And I know this is a negative kind of answer to your positive sounding question, but to me, this is an important issue that we all need to face, all marketers need to face, um, how much we 're going to support these um, algorithms, especially the facebook algorithm it 's less prevalent in LinkedIn and some of the others, but um, very 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 prevalent in facebook
1: it 's clearly a very important issue and I don't know, from my own practice as a marketer, I do find that there's a sort of flight away from Facebook because it doesn't do anything useful for us anymore. And, and LinkedIn in many ways seems to be the more grown-up form of social media. People don't seem to have that kind of arguments on um, LinkedIn.
0: I think that's right. I've noticed the same thing. And I mean, LinkedIn is constantly changing their algorithm and you need to be on top of it But from what I've seen, it hasn't been um, tuned to the same kind of lies and conspiracy theories that the Facebook algorithm has been tuned to. And therefore, I think you're right that at least so far, the LinkedIn algorithm um has not been as destructive however it is difficult to master <clears throat> you know as we're recording this it's at the end of 2021 and you know it seems like linkedin over the course of um of their existence has constantly changed the algorithm to reward different types of content in people's feeds with more views and typically the way that linkedin works is that if you make an update to a page or your personal feed, LinkedIn will show that to a small number of your followers. Um, I don't know the exact number because they don't publish the algorithm, but arguably it's something like only one or 2% of your followers will be shown your post. Then if there's engagement in your post, if people comment on it, if they share it, um, then LinkedIn will show it to more people. And then if there's comments and shares, they'll show it to more people. And um, so if you understand that aspect of the algorithm and um, you can figure out ways to get more engagement, you'll see that you'll have more views of your posts. Now, most people I, sp- I speak with, will um, I'll say to them, how many followers do you have on LinkedIn or how many connections do you have on LinkedIn? Let's say for argument's sake, they have 500 connections and followers LinkedIn will show your posts to only 50 people or hundred people initially, but take a look at how many people um, viewed and you can see that data in your post, how many people viewed your most recent post. And it's going to be somewhere between 1% um, and 100% of the number of followers that you have, most likely on, on the south side of that, the smaller numbers. So thinking about ways you can get more engagement on LinkedIn is, uh, is a great way to build, to, to do marketing on LinkedIn. But another thing I've noticed is that they've rewarded other types of content over the years. At one point, they were rewarding video content where they were showing that to more people than a text um, post Re- LinkedIn is downplaying anything that has an external link. So if you put a link to content that's outside of the LinkedIn net- network, they show that to fewer people. Um, what they're really promoting now, which is super interesting, is and you should check it out if you haven't already, Lucy, is the um, uh, the LinkedIn newsletters feature. Um, And they're showing that to a lot of your followers. Um, I've certainly
1: noticed that you've taken it very seriously, David. I
0: did. I started. Thank you for noticing. I appreciate that. But I I started my own LinkedIn newsletter only two weeks ago. I've got 5,000 followers, 5,000 subscribers already. And that's because LinkedIn really wants people to create newsletters. It's a very new feature on LinkedIn. And they're very much rewarding people who are early To create a LinkedIn newsletter. So anybody listening in who's interested in creating marketing on LinkedIn, um, in a way to get engagement right now, as we're as we're recording this in late 2021. So you're probably listening in early 2022. To this conversation, um, there's still an opportunity to get in early on the LinkedIn newsletter feature and have that be an important part of your marketing efforts.
1: Absolutely. I'm 100% behind that. So you've done other types of marketing as the years have gone by. And your your most recent book, I think, was with something you wrote with your daughter, which was about, was it about influencers? It's called the fanocracy. So maybe not influencers, maybe more about just fans, just it's getting really, people to yeah. support your stuff.
0: That's exactly right. It's about how to grow fans of a business, um, fanocracy, the subtitle, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans. Um, here in my country, it hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, which I'm super excited about. Um, and you're right, I wrote it with my daughter. Um, um, going back to the topic of, of the destructive algorithms, I was talking to her about five years ago, and I said, you know, um, social networks aren't working so well as a marketing device, but at the same time, her name is Reiko. I said, Reiko, I love... Um, the things that I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of the rock band, The Grateful Dead. I'm a fan of surfing. And she piped in and said, yeah, I'm a fan of Harry Potter. She's not only... Read every Harry Potter book, seen every Harry Potter movie, but she wrote an 85,000 word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series, where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix and put that up on a fan fiction site and it's been downloaded thousands and thousands of times. Um, She's also a fan of K-pop. So what we did is we dug in together into the idea of fandom trying to determine how and why people become fans of something. We spoke with hundreds of people about what they're a fan about. We spoke with um, uh, hundreds of companies that have developed fandom. And we also spoke with neuroscientists about what's going on in our brain when we become fans of something. And it turns out we all, all humans, all of us, you and me and everyone listening in, want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people, because that's when we feel safe and comfortable. And therefore, if you can create a tribe of like-minded people with, within your business, that um, that you develop fans in that way. And there's many ways to develop a tribe of like-minded people. I mean, and as an example, SAP... And their, their mega events is bringing people together. That's a tribe of like-minded people who eventually become fans of SAP and what SAP is doing, as an example.
1: I said that you've, you've tried out various different concepts. And one of them you referred to right at the beginning of this chat, which, which was newsjacking. And I, I'd love to you, for you to just dig into that a little bit more uh, while I've got you, David, if you wouldn't mind explaining the concept.
0: Yeah, the idea of newsjacking is super simple. Um, whenever a news story breaks, um, it breaks in a very predictable way. It predicts, it, it breaks if you were to graph it like a bell-shaped curve where the news story breaks, it becomes more and more um, of interest to people. And at that point, when it's very early in the news cycle, um, that um, people are eager to learn more about that subject and they go to Google or they go to the, uh, another search engine or they go to LinkedIn or wherever they go to learn, how can I find out more about this subject that's breaking right now that I didn't know about before. And journalists are looking for people who are experts in that topic so that they can quote them in their stories. And people all of a sudden might want to buy a product or service because of what's going on in the news. So newsjacking is um, the art and science of injecting your ideas into a breaking news story. And the way that you do that is you create an instant blog post, an instant social media post, a video, um, or whatever type of content that um, you're used to creating with the the hope that what will happen is that it will get indexed by the search engines or the social media algorithms. And then um, people will find you who are searching for information on that topic. Um, And so um, some ways that that people will use newsjacking in the technology business so for example um a company that might have software that's used for security inter- um you know web based internet um uh, or um companies net- network security if there's a new threat uh, a new security threat that's named all of a sudden, this new named threat is prevalent. And people are like, oh, my God, how do I protect myself from, uh, and you might remember a couple years ago, the one that became super important to protect against was the WannaCry software. And so um, all of a sudden, there's a new security threat. It's called the WannaCry software. And People are looking for how they can protect themselves. Well, if you run a security software company um, or you provide um, network products that um, need to be secure and you have ways to make them secure against this threat, if you create... An instant blog post on your corporate blog, if you create a video and post it on your homepage, um, if you um, post on all your social networks, if you have all your salespeople post on all of their social networks, um, some content about this particular virus, this particular um, uh, security threat. Um, then um, that is getting in front of that news story. That's newsjacking.
1: But the example that sprung to mind for me was the, the big environmental conference that we had um, in Glasgow in uh, Scotland. Yeah,
0: COP, COP26, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of people chose that as um uh, as a time to put out relevant content to do with the environment. And it, it does work. I mean, it's not a trick, is it?
0: It's not a trick at all. It's a, it's a viable and, and very, very effective way to generate interest. And we the the two examples that we we've, we've just talked about, one of them being um, the Glasgow Conference, the other being um, a threat to um, corporate internet security, are very different, however, because everybody knew that that Glasgow conference was happening, just like they know. Um, that the the football World Cup is happening, just like they know um, that the British Open Golf Tournament is happening, just like they know that the um, Academy Awards are happening, um, and so that's a that's something that you know is coming. And many people will try to newsjack a story that they know is coming. Many times what's more effective is if is when you can newsjack something that nobody ever saw coming. Oh my gosh, how could you have imagined that there would be a, a coronavirus that would essentially cause the entire planet to get locked down? Um, you know how could you imagine that there would be a particular software virus that would that would affect people? Um, uh, You know, how could you imagine something else happening? And then if you happen to be an expert in that topic, then that is your time to get a, a news story out there.
1: What strikes me about that is that it requires marketers, businesses, small businesses to be very nimble and very flexible to respond to that you can't sit there debating it at board level for a month and then have your copy sit with somebody for approval for another month can you you have to do it in <laughs> in a couple of hours
0: yeah no, that's that's right and that's the reason why the, that organizations who are prepared can do much better than the typical corporation where as you say Um, They sit around. Oh, you know what? It's, you know, imagine something um, as we're recording this episode. It's at the end of December of 2021. So imagine um, somebody is sitting in their office. It's it's December 21st, for example. Oh, you know, there's a new story coming out. But the boss is out for the holidays. We can get to writing something about it in January. That is too late. That is way too late. Um, so the organizations that are prepared are the ones that are able to successfully newsjack. And so my recommendation is always to get pre-approvals in your organization. Explain to people what newsjacking is. Um, explain to them that um, and we're, we're likely to have an opportunity pop up Um, At an oddball time, it might be like the week of Christmas. It might be a a, a Saturday, you know, a a weekend. It might be when the boss is on vacation. Um, It it, it might be um, uh, uh, in the middle of the night and get a pre-approval that it's okay to post to the corporate blog or it's okay to post to the corporate LinkedIn um, when these opportunities arise so that you can strike when the moment is right. Um, And by the way, I'm honored that um, recently the Oxford English Dictionary put the word newsjacking in, made it um, on the shortlist for the word of the year. Um, And when they did so, they they recognized me as the founder of this idea of newsjacking.
1: That's fantastic. I'm gra- I'm so glad you got the recognition for that. That's brilliant. yeah, super
0: cool. I mean, yeah. imagine having a, a listing in the Oxford English English Dictionary to your name. It's super cool.
1: Well, it's something for me to aim for, anyway. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I know that you have restricted time, so I'm just going to throw one more question yeah. at you, if you don't mind, and then we can wrap up. Um, it's really about um, storytelling, which I'm very fond of versus generating, counting, and converting leads. Both of them come under the umbrella of marketing. Um, It's not necessarily seen within most marketing departments that those two things fit together. What do you think?
0: You know, stories um, are something that goes back um, for humans um, um, tens of thousands of years. You know, um, tens of thousands of years ago, humans sat around the campfire and told stories And we're still, we still all love stories. You know, films are stories, Um, novels are stories. Um, People who tell stories um, well, um, they have elements of them. They have the element of conflict, they have the element of suspense, they have um, uh, things that most business communications do not have. And so if you do end up using storytelling as a way of communicating, it can be super powerful because so few businesses do use it. And one of the things simply to be thinking about is this idea of conflict. So essentially, every movie ever made is built around some kind of conflict. So imagine the story of uh, two people in a movie. They meet. They fall in love. They um, uh, enjoy um, the, the fact that they're in love. Then something happens that pulls them apart and they're no longer together. And the, that's the conflict. And then uh, something then brings them back together. There's been thousands of movies with that more or less theme. Imagine how boring it would be if it was two people meet, then they get married. And, and that's what most business communications is it's boring. It doesn't include conflict. So think about how you can tell a story rather than talk about your products.
1: That's very, very good advice. Thank you so much for joining me, David. It's an ambition realized to talk to you today. So Uh thank you.
0: Uh, Well, we've shared um, on social media together for a long time. So I'm, I'm happy that we're finally able to have a conversation
1: brilliant that's it then for this episode of the growth business i do hope you'll subscribe to hear more each month and do check out some of the previous episodes i'm going to drop a link to david's best-selling book fanocracy into the show notes but for now goodbye